Hey, what's going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario. Welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I try and do at least monthly in two forms. First of which being a visual format here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. And another in audio-only form, so you can listen to this like, well, like any other podcast. If you're wanting to check it out in audio form, you can just go to your favorite podcasting app or provider or service and look up Mod Chat, all one word, and you should be able to find it on there, subscribe to it, and you can listen to it in a nice mp3 to take wherever the hell you want to go. Now some people might be asking, didn't you just do an episode of Mod Chat? And yes, I did. And the nice thing is with this show, I try and do it at least monthly, meaning that I will try and do it at minimum once a month, but I can always do it more often than that. And the original intention was to actually have this episode go out at this time. This was the original week. However, I did another episode of Mod Chat prior because I was talking about a whole bunch of Nintendo stuff that really annoyed me and I wanted to discuss it. And it pretty much ended up being a 95% Nintendo related episode. So with that, I, I kind of got all that stuff out of the way, and this episode here is actually the topics that I originally wanted to cover, and I figured I would take them out of the previous episode and put them into this episode only, and hopefully we can have some more fun here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into what exactly we're looking at here. So the first thing we're going to be looking at here is, of course, going to be Nintendo-related. Look, let's just get the Nintendo stuff out of the way here, <laughs> but uh, this is from Stack Smashing, otherwise known as Ghidra Ninja on Twitter, and I was not familiar with this gentleman's work until this ended up coming out here. Now, about a month ago at this point, the Nintendo Game & Watch ended up releasing or re-releasing. This is for the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers, and this here is a Game & Watch system which contains Super Mario Brothers, it contains ball and I believe there's one other game on here that's not necessarily coming to mind but either way I just want to run through stack smashing's little thread here where he was saying my Nintendo game and watch arrive a day early let's tear it down and see how it works they then said here for opening it up you unfortunately need some Y style screwdrivers let's see what's underneath interesting an STM 32H7B0VB T6 is the main processor, Cortex M7, 128 kilobytes flash, 1024 kilobytes of RAM, also some unpopulated headers close by that expose SMD, the ARM Cortex M debug interface. There's also here a Micronix 25U 8035 8 megabyte flash. It says definitely candidate to be dumped. Found the SWD pinout. We'll check later whether it's enabled or locked. He's ended up checking the SWD, and here it looks like it is enabled, thankfully, but it seems that the device is secure, so he's saying we simply cannot dump the firmware via SWD. Now here he actually starts dumping the flash, where he's saying dumped the flash using a Mini Pro and a SOIC8 clip. Works in system, though I had the battery unplugged because he had to do that. He ended up making some checksums for it, and it seems that the dump might be either encrypted or it compressed here. Now here it's also stated that they found that the frame buffer is readable from memory via SWD, and now it's also starting to verify that it seems like it loads a Super Mario Bros. Nintendo ROM into RAM, device RAM context left, 
original Super Mario Bros. ROM right, so they were able to find the ROM right there. Now, when they started getting into actually modding this, because that was the idea on here, it's saying, somewhat good news, I flipped some bits in the flash image, and the device still boots, so no strong flash validation, and check this out, this here is the first sign where on that screen it says hacked, meaning that technically the system is booting a modified version of a Nintendo ROM, which is awesome. He also says here, so eventually managed to bypass the game and watch ROM encryption one day before the official release. We'll try to release a video on it in the next few days with details on how that works. And I have seen this video as well too, which is a phenomenal video, really just breaking this all down here. I would encourage you all to watch Stack Smashing's video on this. It's less than 10 minutes on here, and it's such an entertaining and well-done video. I absolutely loved watching this, and just the detail he went into and the breakdown even if you're not a technical savvy person, uh, he makes it work out pretty well. So I would say it's absolutely worth a watch if you found this interesting at all. Unfortunately, just for anybody who is going to be interested later on in modding this thing up, it does look like the USB-C right there, actually, the USB-C port, it does not have data enabled on it. So for anybody thinking that we can just hook up a cable through USB-C to our computer and modify it, that's unfortunately not going to be the case. Now, he's also made a couple other follow-up videos as well too which I still need to finish up and even watch here. One of them is Doom on the Nintendo Game & Watch and he's only working with about one megabyte worth of flash storage here to house everything so there's really not that much you can work with. And another one is bringing homebrew to the Nintendo Game & Watch. I believe last I saw as well too he was able to expand out the storage on the Game & Watch uh, but that's of course going to require some actual hardware modification. Now funny enough I actually, like, when I saw that original tweet, it actually prompted me to go out and buy one of these here. Uh, is it worth it? Maybe not so much right now, in all honesty. This is, I mean, it's a cute little $50 device, but at the same time, it's a little $50 device that doesn't really do all too much, and I wasn't... It, it's a little too small for my liking. But again, right here, we have the USB-C ports, which we are hoping that we could do something with. But I don't know. In my opinion, I'm thinking what might happen like down the road, and I'm not sure if he or others are going to work on this. Uh, but it would be nice if you could physically open this device, solder in a connector for a micro SD card, or like a, yeah, or just solder in a micro SD card itself. Somehow even get data working through the USB Type-C port, or even worst case, just you take out the micro SD card you pop back in whatever it is because this isn't too hard to take apart thankfully but it does look like this is going to require some disassembly to take apart here um yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I think one big thing would be, of course, we have managed to get this modified, but I would love to see a way to actually expand the storage on this little device. So we'll just see how this all goes. But again, this did end up prompting me to pick up one of these. So We'll see what happens, but for now, it's just kind of sitting on my table. Next up, I only have one Switch topic here I wanted to bring up, but this is for the GitHub repository belonging to CapsterX-Switch. And I wanted to bring this up because this person here has a few repositories on here that are really cool. I'm actually going to open all of these up individually. So the first one here is Exult, and I'm just going to read this out. What is Exult? Ultima 7, an RPG from the early 1990s, still has a huge following, but being a DOS game with a very non-standard memory manager, it is difficult to run it on the latest computers. Exult is a project to create an Ultima 7 game engine that runs on modern operating systems capable of using the data and graphics files that come with the game. 
Exalt is written in C++ and runs on at least Linux, Mac OS X, and Windows using the SDL library to make porting to other platforms relatively easy. The current version supports all of Ultima 7 The Black Gate and Ultima 7 Part 2 The Serpent Isle, allowing you to finish both games. This is only possible due to the work done by other fans who have decoded the various Ultima 7 data files, specifically Gary Thompson, Maxim Schotsky, I hope I say that name, Jacob Schoenberg, and Walter Dieschlag. I, I, <laughs> I've never tried to say that name out loud, but I hope I didn't mess it up too badly. Exult aims to let those people who own Ultima 7, copyright 1993, play the game on modern hardware in as close to or perhaps even surpassing its original splendor as is possible. You need to own Ultima 7 The Black Gate and or Ultima 7 Serpent Isle, and optionally the add-ons not required to run. In order to use Exult, we encourage you to buy a legal copy. So this is the first thing here, and I'm just looking. It looks like under the releases, I can check out what's been released here. And it seems to be about 50 megabytes or so, but here it shows just like, you know, what the switch keys you would need to be uh, to enter and all the mappings on this in several pre-release and release packages. But yeah, this right here is Ultima 7 ported over to Switch, and the last update was about three weeks ago. The second one here I want to highlight is Brogue CE, and here Brogue, I hope I'm saying that right, is a single-player strategy game set in the halls of a mysterious and randomly generated dungeon. The objective is simple enough, retrieve the fabled amulet of Yendor from the 26th level. But the dungeon is riddled with danger. Horrifying creatures and devious trap-ridden terrain await. Yet it is also riddled with weapons, potions, and artifacts of forgotten power. Survival demands strength and cunning in equal measure as you descend, making the most of what the dungeon gives you. You will make sacrifices, narrow escapes, and maybe even some friends along the way. But will you be one of the lucky few to return alive? Now, here it shows how you can run this and such as well, too. But this here is the Community Edition, which also notes Brogue was created by Brian Walker. This version, Brogue Community Edition, is a continuation of its development. It has several main goals. Fix bugs and crashes, add useful quality of life and non-gameplay features, make conservative game changes where there is wide agreement, be an uncontroversial drop-in for the original game, ease development and maintenance, and be a convenient base for forks and ports to the new platforms. So this is really cool here. This one I have also not heard of, but again, I can even check the releases here, and it seems like this was last updated about three weeks ago at the time I'm recording this, and this here is yet again another port of this over to the Switch. So this is really awesome. It's also even mentioned here by Capster X. I've never played this game, so I mapped the keys as best as I could. Right trigger should be mouse, right stick click is left click and it's just mentioning all the uh, uh, all the binds right here for what you would need and the very last thing here is called abuse that certainly sounds scary but just with the introduction here welcome to abuse the port of the classic game abuse to the simple direct media layer I'm sure that's a little dated there but abuse was originally developed by crack.com and released in 1995 for ms-dos a Linux version was also made available at a later date it had a few limitations, but most restrictive of which was that it only ran on an 8-bit display and only in a window. Abuse will run at any color depth and supports full screen mode, as well as many other new features. 
It should also be more portable and hopefully run on a variety of Nix variants and possibly other systems supported by the SDL library. So yet again, right here, we have a third port from this same author, Abuse-SDL port for the Switch. Let's look at releases. And it's been about a month since this was last worked on here, but we see, you know, all the mappings and such on here, a few bugs that were mentioned, fix a few minor issues with keys, adding touch input, fix aspect ratio. So this yet again is just another game port that has been added to the Switch's homebrew game port library, which is just so awesome to see. So again, I wanted to highlight this because I'd heard of abuse first, and then I'd seen Capster X's repository here. And I was like, this person has multiple things that are even other tools that are being ported over to the Switch, but three game ports under their belt. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of highlight this a bit here on mod chat now we're going back to an old favorite of mine the xbox 360 and this was actually done by a friend of mine in the scene here octal 450 and this is smc plus now he had ended up releasing this i helped a little bit with testing and really i just mean i tried a file i flash it over to an xbox and i recorded a video showing him how it worked uh, at least on my system but either way this is for the sr RGH and RGH 1.2 modifications for the Xbox 360. I'm going to have this video linked in the description on YouTube, but let's just go ahead and scroll down to see what this is talking about. So this is fastest SMC buildup that does not miss any success cycles. It shows also how to build an image with SMC+, which is super easy to do, and it also has a download link available for Octal's pretty much rebuilt version of JRunner, which in my opinion is the, the best download that you can grab right now for JRunner. So it says here, what is it? I was always annoyed that the SRGH SMCs would sometimes reset the console even on a successful glitch. They were simply too fast due to 15.432 not having many consoles to test with. After using CR4 speedup for ages now, I began to wonder about speeding it up more without causing that success issue. Thus, SMC Plus was born. These SMCs are really quick, but never miss a successful glitch. When I found a working value, also bumped up the numbered slightly just to add a buffer for funky consoles, thus every board should be working well. Two cycles is equal to 6.5 to 7 seconds boot time, 4 cycles is equal to 10 or 11 seconds boot time. Tested on over 30 consoles and even the most funky consoles worked fine. RGH 1.2, ACE version 3 slash DGX SRGH supported. ACE V3 Plus supported. Falcon Image also works for Falcon Zephyr RGH 1.2 and ACE RGH 1.2 with 15.432 timings. So setting this up is super easy as well. I'll actually find this here on the video because Octal shows several installations that he had tried this on. And I've tried this myself on two different consoles. I actually used my SRGH Trinity to test this out and I recorded a video, sent it off to him and he was pretty happy with the results. And then I also applied this to a RGH 1.2 
which was it? It was a Jasper motherboard I had, and it was already booting fine before, but it seemed to be working fine now. Really, SMC Plus, in my opinion, it kind of just guarantees that you're not going to miss a successful glitch on here. And the nice thing is as well, too, even if your console, if you have an RGH, you might have noticed sometimes it will just stop glitching when you turned on, so you have to turn it off, turn it back on. This continues to glitch, so it will just sit there and keep glitching and trying until it is successfully able to boot, which works out really well. Now, right here, he's showing it, and if you have JRunner, you literally go here, you go to Glitch 2, and then you tick the SMC Plus checkbox right there when you are building your NAND. So you don't even have to open up your console. If you have a NAND dump ready to go, you load it up in JRunner, you dump in your CPU key, Glitch 2, enable SMC Plus, build it, and you flash that image over. You don't have to play around further with the timing files on the glitch chip itself. So this is one thing I wanted to highlight on here because I still absolutely have a big soft spot for the Xbox 360 for many different reasons. And again, I've tried this out. This was awesome here. So I can definitely recommend if you're going to be performing a RGH 1.2 or a SRGH on a system to definitely go with SMC Plus. You're really not going to be hurting the system by any means. And it's there's no there's no drawbacks at least from what i'm seeing so just spend the extra quarter of a second enabling that checkbox create your image and you're good to go at that point now i'm about to show you all something really scary right here this is going to be a dead body coming back to life i know 2020 a lot of stuff has happened here but yes we're getting zombies coming up no in all seriousness this is actually a little bit of an update to insignia which is the new Original Xbox Live 1.0 re-implementation. This is the clean room reverse engineering project that has been headed by Luke Usher. I know I've talked about it. Modern Vintage Gamers talked about it. It's gotten a lot of news, a lot of traction, and it's really cool seeing this. There's two things I'm going to show you all. First of all, we're going to watch this together. This video is actually from friend of the show here, Toxin1, and this is Halo 2 Insignia sign-on or sign-in on original Xbox. So just watch this. He, he fired up. Halo 2, he's signing into an Xbox Live account, and for the first time in what we can say at least a decade, maybe one about a decade or so, Halo 2 sign-in on Xbox Live is working. Like, this is, this is incredible right here. Now, it looks like the rest of this is not working. Like, you get this error saying, sorry, we failed to update some configuration files required for matchmaking. Sign out of Xbox Live, then sign back in to fix this problem. However, this is actually working to some kind of degree. So that was when he was trying to do quick match or optimatch. He can go in and create a party, set up a game, start the game, and then check this out. We do the countdown timer, and within a few seconds, this seems to be MLG FFA on lockout. There we go. We have Xbox Live 1.0 working on Halo 2 for the first time in how long? This is really cool to see. And quite recently right here, it looked like this was allowed to be streamed, and this was closer to a closed beta, I would say. But another person I'm friends with here, and I would say friend of the show, uh, Borman or Andrew Borman, uh, he had actually taken it upon himself to do a live stream of this here on the Insignia channel. And this is Unreal Championship testing session. And what you're looking at right here is Unreal Championship. I believe the only one that came out was 2003. So Unreal championship 2003 working on the original xbox live right here 
like look at this this is i mean this is working this is in game they're able to get on xbox live they're able to sign on they're able to actually play this is so cool this is coming back this is awesome to see so yeah for anybody who has been worried about this because i know we've been faked out several times so far where there's been you know there's been xbox live 1.0 re-implementations projects and some of them come along they die another one comes along it dies another one comes along it you know ceases development but it looks like insignia is going to be the best bet at getting something back because there is there's in-game progress right now this is so cool we're going to bring the timeline a little bit forward now and we're going to be taking a look at vita hex games and i've covered a few things from vita hex games here but i have not covered this yet and this is really cool this this is the Hexflow launcher. Now look at this image. That right there is taken from a PlayStation Vita. And Hexflow launcher is called a 3D cover flow like launcher for PS Vita. Display and launch your games and homebrews in style. Hexflow Launcher features a 3D user interface to display your games with their box art and supports many customization options like custom covers and backgrounds. Launching a game slash app from Hexflow Launcher will close the launcher automatically without asking. So this is really cool here. Essentially, you place your custom covers in the UX0 slash data slash Hexflow slash covers slash PS Vita directory. Cover images must be in PNG format, and file name must match the app ID or the app name of each app. Recommended resolution is 256 by 256 pixels, with a sample image right here. Okay, so that that's that's definitely attainable. Now, for downloading covers and backgrounds, it says from version 0.3, covers can be downloaded automatically from the settings menu, start button. You can also download covers and backgrounds manually from the link below. A big thanks to Sturmer, I believe, for his contribution I, I man just saying usernames out loud <laughs> it's something i feel like i'll always have a 50 50 chance at you can also create a custom background you can create custom music we'll load that up here and if you want this to be your vita's automatic launcher check this out auto boot if you want to launch if you want to auto launch hexflow launcher every time your ps vita boots up you can use the auto boot plugin by rene gatamante so that's really cool. So again, if you want to just turn on your PlayStation Vita and have a Hexflow launcher, just replace this completely, you're able to just fine. This is super cool. Now, this is quite similar if you've ever used a modified Wii with like configurable USB loader or you've used uh, Freestyle 3 or you use Freestyle Dash or, or Aurora on the Xbox 360. This gives off very similar vibes and it seems like people really like just this style of cover flow in a way. And I think cover flow is even another application on the Wii, for example. But I think because so many people just got used to this like you open up an app and it all displays like this people really like this and i i'm not even shaming it like this looks great the other cool thing as well too with hexflow launcher is i don't know the actual number but i know on the playstation vita's actual like in-game menu there is a limitation as to how many bubbles you can have therefore limiting your games and hexflow launcher completely blows through that limit so you can beat the limit of games you are supposed to have on your playstation vita and boot them all up just 
just fine using Hexflow Launcher. So it even adds extra accessibility and extra usage for your PlayStation Vita, which is great to have. Finally, one last thing I want to look at here is another port. And this one, typically we look at ports that go from console to console or from PC to console, but this one we're actually looking at console to PC, which I didn't even really think of until I actually read through this and then it kind of clicked with me. But either way, this is from OpenDriver2 and this project is called ReDriver2. So this seems to be for Windows, at least so far, but this is a project attempting to reverse engineer PS1 game Driver 2, and it started March 28th of 2019. So here it looks like we have Driver 2 fired up on a PC, and that looks immaculate. This is not an emulated version of the game. This is taking the PlayStation 1 version of Driver 2 and porting it to run natively on PC. Goals, rebuild all source code from assembly, compile native version for PC and for PSX later. And that's interesting to me because it looks like the Windows version is passing, but it looks like the PSX version is pending. So I'm wondering if they're, they're trying to, okay, so they're reverse engineering driver two, but they're going to kind of re-implement it back on PlayStation. It'll be interesting to see. I just, I'm not sure of the logic with that. And that's no slight to the project. I just don't fully understand it. But here, make it game playable from start to finish. All game mode should function properly. Fix all reverse engineering bugs. Fix some existing critical bugs and performance issues. Open driver to rewrite code. Implement various cool stuff. PC rendering and audio engine. Get rid of hard coded stuff. How is it done? All information, variables, types, and function names have been obtained from debuggingsimples.sym, driver underscore psx underscore level, and DLE. Ghidra project based on Italian SYM to deal with overlays, simple code complex branching, semi-auto decompilation, IDB based on Spanish SYM when dealing with things Ghidra can't handle properly, manual decompilation, mostly GTE code, and original target PlayStation game built upon PsyX or PsyCross, formerly extended Tom5 emulator. So let me look at the releases right here, for example, and it looks like there's been quite a bit of work that's going on with this, and just over the past like couple weeks or so, we're still getting updates on here. There's general stuff that seems to be added in. There's new fixes there. Uh, there's just a whole lot of awesome stuff that is going on with this. And I'm actually looking at the OpenDriver2 just account overall, and they have another repository called OpenDriver2 Tools, which is Driver1 and Driver2 Tools. For OpenDriver 2 tools, the overall goal of this, it says project targets to provide most accurate and clean code for driver 1 to format loading and manipulation. So this just looks like a really awesome like modding tool for the driver games, which is great. It supports the original driver game, the driver 2 demo 1.6 alpha dated August 11th, 2000, and driver 2 back on the streets, Wheelman is back. Also important to note here that there are certain versions that work on ReDriver 2. So just right away, the versions that work just fine are the initial 1.0 releases in Europe, the PAL version, as well as the NTSCU version, they seem to be fully supported. However, the Platinum and Greatest Hits versions in PAL and US territories, respectively, are both playable but buggy. So keep in mind if you are going to be messing around with ReDriver 2, regardless of which territory you are in, you should be using the initial, just non Greatest Hits, non Platinum version 1.0 revisions. 
So there we go. That is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. And I just want to say these were like, these are some of the projects I absolutely love seeing. We're seeing quality of life stuff. We're seeing awesome progress on Insignia. And we're also seeing several game ports to new systems and even from old systems to new new platforms i guess like we're seeing driver 2 was and that was what was uh what i never realized before driver 2 what i was trying to say was i never realized it was not on pc until i looked at this and i was like oh yeah right it was only on playstation wasn't it but either way this is really awesome to see so i think we're all good in regards to this episode hopefully you all enjoyed it i certainly enjoyed taking a look at all these topics here and i'm not sure if we'll have any other episodes for this month i don't have any planned however if we do have maybe a surprise one or something uh you you know we'll see what happens there was a few things i chose not to report on just because i'd like something more concrete and when we get some more concrete stuff i'll absolutely make a mod chat episode about that included in but otherwise if i don't see you all for another episode of mod chat before 2020 hopefully you all have a safe 2020 for the rest of the year and going into 2021 hopefully you all stay healthy hopefully you all enjoy yourselves during this holiday season i know it's been it's been a tough year most certainly but you know what we we, we can pull through this together all right we can absolutely do it anyways i do need to pick a hmm I need to pick a keyword for the end of the episode. How about, because I'm seeing this right here, I have this on just on my table. How about battery? If you use the word battery in the YouTube comments of this upload, I will know you made it to the very end of this episode. Are you needing to buy more batteries? Is your battery not working as well? Are you annoyed that Apple was throttling batteries without, or I guess throttling CPUs, citing battery issues and battery age without actually telling users? Because uh, I was certainly annoyed with that, and I don't even have or use Apple products, so that wasn't cool. But either way, if you use the word battery in the comment of this YouTube upload, I will know you made it to the very end of this episode. But anyways, as I always say, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone, and I guess until the next episode of Mod Chat, talk to y'all later.